Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's new online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to our show this morning. Uh, we're going to get real concrete and specific about the dangers of the internet, and uh, we're going to hopefully have some practical suggestions for what you can do about it. One of the great joys of this show is that uh, I get to occasionally invite some of my greatest friends from around the country to be on the show. Today is a historical moment for this uh, uh, broadcast. We have our first two guests, and we've gone to no great expense to bring them here. But uh, I'd like to introduce our audience to, uh, first of all, uh, Elizabeth Griffin, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and uh, works with us here uh, often at uh, our central clinic here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And then uh, my good friend, Dr. David Delmonico, is professor at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, a fully tenured professor of psychology there. And we have known each other for a long time. Elizabeth uh, and uh, David are the author of a couple of books I'd like to mention, In the Shadow of the Net and Cybersex Unplugged. So they have written on this topic extensively. They speak all over the country. They testify. They do so many great things. And uh, they're here together. Uh, We have the opportunity to even have them in studio today because they're uh, currently working on uh, some more writing. But let's get right into our topic. Is that all right? Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Uh, what can you uh, tell our listeners about why the internet uh, is so powerful? Why do so many people get hooked into it? Well, there's actually a new field of study called the psychology of the internet. Mm-hmm. And it really talks about what, how, the in, how the internet influences our behavior and how for so many people in the online world... They end up saying or doing things in that environment that they would never say or do in the offline world. And so I think that's part of what what contributes to a lot of times people have very clear boundaries around their behavior Mm -hmm. uh, in the offline world. And then they get online and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. those those clear boundaries that they've had start to to crumble and they're doing things Mm -hmm. that they're sometimes not even sure why it's so easy to cross those lines in that online environment. And part of it is that perception that the Internet is such an anonymous world. Mm -hmm. It's not. But it feels like it at the moment when we're by ourselves, in our Mm -hmm. house, in our basement, in our attic, and Mm -hmm. we just have that little screen. Mm -hmm. It feels like in that moment, whatever we say or do, no one's ever going to find out about it. And then in the online world, if you're doing something you kind of think I shouldn't be doing or you're concerned about it, what do you Mm -hmm. do to get out of that situation? Mm -hmm. You just click that little X and poof, it disappears. Right. And so in that moment, there's that relief and, okay, no one's ever going to find out about that, which is often not true. Kind of what you're saying, I remember one of our colleagues who's no longer with us, unfortunately, talking about this dynamic that... The internet, in terms of social inhibition, is kind of a, a good news, bad news thing. Uh, that there are those people who won't go out and meet anybody <clears throat> uh, that are socially inhibited. 
socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the internet affords them the opportunity to do things that they might not otherwise feel comfortable doing. That might be a good news if you're talking about meeting people, even maybe even finding a, <clears throat> a marriage partner these days. It mm-hmm. seems like. But what you're also saying is that you know back in my day when I was you know pursuing this junk, uh, you know you had to go to some fairly CD out of the way places, but today you don't, and that's what makes it so incredibly powerful. Is just this accessibility and supposed anonymity. But talk talk a little bit about the fact it's really not that anonymous, is it? No, it really isn't. I mean, I think I think people feel very anonymous again because of that uh, the isolated places that we use the internet uh, in our homes. Uh, you know private secure in our bedrooms and our attics and mm-hmm. and so it feels very se- secure very anonymous mm-hmm. but it, it really isn't i mean there's there's lots of ways to be uh detected about who you are mm-hmm. and what you're doing online but it's certainly more anonymous than uh you know driving down the street and going to a club or yeah. going to a bookstore or something <laughs> so people feel that level of anonymity that uh that changes the dynamics for people i remember in the old days guys used to have secret uh mail post office boxes right and they right. get their junk in some secret post mm-hmm. office box but today you don't need any of that do you that's right that's right well talk to us a little bit about how this how you see this developing what is it i mean that makes uh is it the availability the anonymity that makes it so appealing to people and gets them hooked in i think that's part of it but i also think that you know people maybe start looking at very, uh, for lack of a better word, mild pornography. Right. And they think, well, this isn't a big deal. I'm just doing it occasionally. Maybe I've worked mm-hmm. really hard. I deserve to do this. Mm-hmm. But what they find, I think, on the Internet, it's not only the anonymity and the accessibility, but it's also that addiction cycle mm-hmm. of what you're looking at no longer gives you that mm-hmm. adrenaline rush that it used to. Mm-hmm. And so then we find people progressing into mm-hmm. more and more extreme forms of pornography, right. uh, maybe things that they're not even interested in, but it's that yeah. feeling of risk. I think you know we often work on legal cases where people mm-hmm. have gotten caught with child pornography, mm-hmm. and they're not people who have any interest in children at all, mm-hmm. but it's more of a result of I've looked at every form of adult pornography out there. I'm curious, this is another extreme forbidden form of pornography. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, they're facing very serious and severe legal consequences and crossing internal boundaries mm-hmm. that they feel like, how did I even get here? And these are people we would never have seen possessing child pornography 20 years ago. It's partly what you're saying that you know people are kind of addicted in a way to the stimulation or the adrenaline and the you know dopamine rush that some of this stuff produces they get themselves in kind of almost the same addictive fog that a drug addict would and they they start crossing their own internal boundaries out right. of that and and they pair sexual arousal with that right and sometimes even masturbation and so those are very powerful reinforcers and so you put all that together, and it's a really deadly potion. And, co- and combine that with the, with the Internet, the things we've talked about on the Internet, the accessibility. I mean, you know, when you think about a drug addiction in those addictions, you've got to seek out someone who sells the drugs. You've got to have the paraphernalia to use the drugs. 
you know, with mm-hmm. internet addiction, it's in it's for many of us, it's in the palm of our hands right. all the time. Our cell phones and uh, other devices that that access the internet in addition to the computer. So it's like a a twenty four seven bar mm-hmm. that's available to an alcoholic. Um, so always that availability, accessibility. Yeah. Talk to our listeners a little bit about how you've seen the development of this accessibility over the last, I mean, the last number of years. I mean, there's no place that you can go well, where you can't find it. And, you know, 15 years ago, we would often tell people who are struggling with their Internet behavior, well, just don't use the Internet. Right. Well, you can't do that any longer. Right. Because so many aspects of our lives are tied in to being online, so many aspects of our professional and personal life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that accessibility, that being able to get into pornography on your cell phone, Mm -hmm. you know, and now that the iPhone, you know, there's pornography specifically for those devices. And so it really does make it very difficult that once you get into that cycle of addictive behavior to then... Mm -hmm move away from that and try to find controls for yourself mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to be online in a healthy way. Well, I think we all would agree that it's really impossible these days not to be online, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say. I mean, if you're a living, breathing human being these days, it's going to be hard to be uh, not online. So. Right. And there are wonderful things about the online environment. Sure. Yeah. So I think you know part of what people... You know, we really encourage people to do is to really, you know, get that professional help and to really learn ways to be online in a healthy way. And oftentimes, um, this is a new world for for us, and we don't um, teach people what are the rules about being in this online world. We just mm-hmm. say, "Oh, your cyberspace, go at it." And so, I think it's about mm-hmm. developing. Um, a mindset that this is a world that does have rules Mm -hmm. and that we need to respect those rules and we need to have boundaries in these this world just like we do in the offline world yeah we're talking about addicts though right right (laughs) come on elizabeth what (laughs) what what do addicts know about boundaries Right. right are some of the people we're talking about here logical thinkers at times when it comes to the healthy things they might need to do. So uh, I I know we want to get into some practical suggestions for uh, our listeners in terms of what they might do about it. But before we do that, you know, maybe not so much to summarize, but just tell us that, you know, we're talking about uh, a problem that can easily escalate, don't you think, rather quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, people can get sucked into this so much faster than the older stuff. Uh, can you speak to that uh, just a little bit? Well, again, I think it's some of the things we've already talked a little bit about and just in terms of there is something that's uh, unique about the Internet, mm-hmm. yeah. and, uh, and that allows people to kind of get, get sucked into that environment a lot, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more quickly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think for people that we've talked to, they'll often describe it as a as a zero to sixty experience, mm-hmm. right? And and many times they'll you know we'll sit with with individuals and they'll they'll talk about not even quite sure how they got there, right? Mm-hmm. That it moves so quickly. Right. Um, and part of it is you know what Elizabeth had talked about and just kind of 
what we call in psychology kind of habituating, right? Mm -hmm. So we look at something and kind of needing more of something else to get the same level, that building up of tolerance. And so I think part of it is the internet just has so many millions of places to go to feed into every arousal template that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And uh, those kinds of things just weren't accessible when I was younger. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you're right. I think there is something about how quickly it progresses um, and sometimes even kind of unknown to the person that it's progressing, how quickly it goes. You just used a term that I'm guessing the listeners don't understand, and that was uh, arousal template. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you say a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so arousal template is just uh, what we're what we develop attractions to. Mm-hmm. And uh, most psychologists believe that arousal templates develop when we're pretty young mm-hmm. uh, and uh, maybe up through puberty, mm-hmm. and uh, that we develop intrasexual interest and sexual arousal to certain things. So, uh, you know, if, if I develop an arousal template to women who have blonde hair and mm-hmm. uh, a certain body type, and so I, I develop an arousal mm-hmm. template that's kind of my preferred. Uh, but arousal templates can include behaviors too, mm-hmm. and uh, so I may be, uh, you know, aroused with certain types of sexual activities. And so the internet really lends itself to that because there's all different kinds of not only pornography, but the other mm-hmm. thing we haven't really talked about is that uh, relationship sure. side of cybersex, where we're uh, mm-hmm. in chat rooms or facebooking and trying to really connect with uh, people. And, but it really does seem to come down to that desire to build intimacy, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And sometimes people do that; they think they can build that Im- intimacy with pornography. Sometimes people try to do it through chat rooms. Um, mm-hmm. So I think all of those things kind of contribute to feeding an arousal template. But we're also seeing the internet alter and change people's arousal right. templates as they learn about things that they might not have otherwise known about. Not otherwise sexually. known about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think partly what you're saying is that uh, whatever sexual interests or attractions we might develop early on through uh, association. So let's say uh, your mom and dad weren't all that attentive or caring, but you had a blonde-haired babysitter Mm -hmm. who was nice to you. Uh, And uh, she smiled. She was uh, helpful. She was whatever she was. And let's say... That somehow got paired with some sense of sexual excitement even even earlier on than I think most parents would think it happens. So you're saying that that <clears throat> becomes a uh, uh, an arousal kind of... The word template means that, okay, from now on I may associate blonde hair with uh, nurture or mm-hmm. kindness or smile. Right. That's a, that's a fairly simple example. We obviously know of more... Uh, complicated examples right. of that. Uh, I've got a young man right now that I'm working with that uh, <clears throat> was rejected by his uh, 16-year-old high school girlfriend, and uh, he's been on a search to find 16-year-old girls on the Internet uh, as a result of that. That's a mm-hmm. kind of almost a reverse kind of an association where it, it led him into illegal kinds of stuff, and he mm-hmm. eventually got arrested. Um, this association stuff is really powerful. But also what you're saying is that then the Internet can teach us new kind of forms of excitement and 
Something that prior to the internet we didn't think was possible. We yeah. thought you had your arousal templates formed right. by the time you hit puberty, and now we're beginning to realize that the brain can adapt. Yeah. And so then you can start you know, becoming aroused to things that mm-hmm. prior to the internet you would have said, there's right. no way. Right. And, and so I think that creates a lot of shame in people mm-hmm. lots of times because they find themselves looking at certain types of pornography or being excited and aroused by certain types of pornography mm-hmm. that doesn't fit who mm-hmm. they feel like they want to be in God's eyes. And, and they don't know where it's coming from because it's like, I've never had this in my life. And so it pr- produces a lot of shame, which again, mm-hmm. people then keep it a secret. Right. And we all know in the world of addiction that mm-hmm. secrecy is what really fuels the addictive behavior. That's right. Well... One of the things I'm thinking about, because I, I know we have listeners out there who are the wives of some of the men that uh, we work with here who have gotten lost in this world of uh, Internet addiction. I, can you speak, either one of you, to, let's say a wife out there has a concern that she's discovered her husband looking at junk. Um, I know one of the questions we get all the time is, will he go on to look at you know, illegal stuff. Are our children safe? You know, those kinds of things. Can you talk about that a minute, Elizabeth? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a complicated question. I know it is. I think in the majority of the time, I rarely see situations where the children in the home are not, I mean, they're usually safe. Yeah. I think the biggest risk to kids in the home are that oftentimes they discover Mm-hmm. what the parents been looking at and mm-hmm. so they have that early exposure to pornography right. or you know dad is so unavailable emotionally to the kids mm-hmm. because his time is spent looking at pornography so i think those are the greatest impact of kids um what what makes it most more difficult is we don't seem to know yet why do some people keep progressing mm-hmm. to more extreme forms of pornography and why do other people Never go in never that go direction. That way. Never go that Never go. So there's there's no predictive mm-hmm. um, characteristics or things that you can really say if your spouse has this and they're going to move on to more mm-hmm. extreme forms. And if they don't, they're mm-hmm. never going to move on to what but what they're looking at. Uh, again, what I really say to wives is um, I think sometimes you know there's this big push from the wife. You got to get help. You got to get help. And maybe their husband goes one time to see a therapist and then it, the, the family system kind of becomes status quo again. Mm-hmm. And she can easily start to think, oh, it'll be okay, mm-hmm. really doubt her own concerns, really doubt that little mm-hmm. voice inside of her that says, we've got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, what I often say to the wives is continue to push that, um, that your spouse get you know see mm-hmm. someone and if he's unwilling to do that see someone for yourself right and because mm-hmm. that can be really helpful in you you know starting to make changes in in yourself and in deciding what you want and what mm-hmm. you need and there's a theory in family therapy that if one person in the family mm-hmm. starts to change that 
is going to create change right. in the other people. In the system. In the yeah. system. And yeah. so I think for wives, it's like, I know a lot of wives feel powerless if their husband doesn't admit they have a problem or they're unwilling mm. to get help. But what I say is, go get help for yourself, go get support for yourself. And mm. by doing that, you will start to change mm-hmm. things in the system. And that will eventually lead to the mm-hmm. family getting help. Now, it may not happen as soon as you want, right? but you have to stick with it. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate the question, Mark. I, I want to interject, though. I also think it's important that we mention uh, that we're seeing an increased number of women mm-hmm. struggling with their online behavior. Thank you and, for bringing that up. You man. know, I, I think a lot of women feel, uh, if this is possible, kind of double shame, Right, because in this mm-hmm. culture, we don't allow women to be sexual anyway, mm-hmm. and then they discover things online, whether it's pornography, and we're seeing a lot of women struggle with their online pornography mm-hmm. use, or it's that relational, wanting that intimacy, wanting the connection. Uh, maybe they're not getting it with their partner, or they're mm-hmm. longing for that. And so I think it's you know important to say that, that women are struggling yeah. with this issue too, and, and uh, in many ways have more difficulty stepping forward and saying, this is a problem for me, and I, I need to address it. You use that uh, kind of phrase, uh, double shame, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if men are looking at this junk, boys will be boys. But if women are looking at it, they're they're put in a category of, you know, well, words like slut or whore mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things come up. But, right, uh, is right. that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there is help available for women struggling with this stuff, too, but I... Uh, the the majority of our listeners, uh, I'm I'm sure, are you know of uh, a fairly deep Christian faith, mm-hmm. uh, but we see this all the time, don't we, David? In mm-hmm. in Christian populations, uh, in fact, there has been some speculation that Christian populations are more susceptible to getting hooked into the internet. Uh, do you have any? You're a professor out there in the East. I think of Eastern professors should. No answers to all questions. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say are some of the reasons why that, that might be true? Well, I, I think there are some, uh, and, and I don't think it's just Christian vulnerabilities. I just think that a lot of times religious groups in general, and Christians certainly are one of those uh, religious groups that uh, set some pretty high expectations for ourselves, that mm. we are uh, we are supposed to have, we are supposed to be godlike, that we mm. are supposed to... Uh, be you know, perfect. Be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And when we have these flaws, the the, the natural instinct is to hide them, is mm-hmm. to yeah. is to prevent people from knowing because it's difficult to to go to a pastor or a fellow mm-hmm. Christian and say I'm struggling with this mm-hmm. with this issue. It's a vulnerability, and one of the reasons why people get so so hooked into this is often related mm-hmm. to not being able to develop intimacy to begin with. Right. So if I don't have intimate friends to trust. Uh, it's difficult to find people that I can say I need help with this. So I think that's you know one of the reasons why religious groups, Christians, mm-hmm. are more vulnerable to these kinds of issues. Well, and I think the other issue is that our Christian communities have to do a better job mm-hmm. of um, offering help for this issue. Right. David and I often talk about in our presentations that if you're a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. With pride, you can stand up right. at 
to your congregation and say, I have 30 days sobriety, I have a year sobriety, and everybody claps and mm-hmm. get a lot of support and understanding. But I have yet to hear of many, many Christian communities where you can stand up and say, mm-hmm. I'm a recovering sex and porn addict, and I have 30 days of sobriety. Mm-hmm. People tend to run from the room screaming at that point. Yeah. Even sometimes pastors don't know how to handle that and can be very shaming. And so I think we still have a lot of work to do, and you're doing a lot of that great work in Mm -hmm. educating people so that our communities are better equipped (laughs) to handle people who are coming forth with the issue. Yeah. I've always thought one of the factors is, you know, in terms of if adrenaline is part of the mix and the neurochemical piece of this, that for a Christian... uh, some of the stuff we're talking about is forbidden, and yes. forbidden makes it you know, more dangerous. It's like being in the Garden of Eden. God says, you can't do that. It makes it more tempting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, why? You know, so, um, so we have a lot of work to do in the church. We could easily get distracted talking about that. Um, but in the remainder of the, uh, remainder of the show, can we talk a little bit about, you know, because you know, I know this is uh, a lot of what your books focus on. What can people do? They're they're lost. They they get to a point where they they know that they're struggling with this. What are some of the things that uh, people should think about doing? Well, I think the first part that we've really talked about is you have to tell someone mm-hmm. that this is not an issue that you can tackle by yourself, that you really do have to tell someone, whether that's a friend, a pastor, seeking out a therapist um, who has experience in this this area, Um, that's, I think that's a first step. And I think Mm -hmm. it's amazing for Mm -hmm. people when they do that to realize how much help that brings. And just by bringing the secret into the light is a huge part. Yeah. of um, starting down that path of recovery. And I, and I think it creates accountability for people, which is really the key to this, is that mm-hmm. you've got to have someone to be accountable to other than yourself. I think that's true anytime we're trying to make change in our life, mm-hmm. um, whether it's eating habits or, or this kind of issue, that we need accountability people. Um, you know, so I think Elizabeth's right, getting it out into the light. You know, I, I'd be careful and just kind of suggest to your listeners that 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 isn't always a great idea to uh, to jump and have your partner be your accountability person, oh, yeah. and yeah. and that you decide that you're going to get it out into the light and disclose your you know five years of history to your partner one night on vacation or something. You <laughs> know? On vacation, so, yeah. <laughs> so you know, finding people outside of that family unit yeah. uh, to start with, anyway, and to figure out how are you going to deal with it. And I think there are some practical ideas. Some some of the things we talk about in the in our books are are uh, putting together internet health plans. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about what are some of my behaviors that I really can't and can't do. You know, thinking about just simple things, you know, getting that computer in high traffic areas in the house or uh, not accessing the internet after certain times of day. Um, but also thinking about what are some healthy things that I can do online to improve. So it's not just what I can't do, mm-hmm. but it's also thinking about what I can do and what supports me in making this change. And there are a lot of really great resources online. Oh, even online. Yeah. yeah. And uh, because, again, I think people are not going to stop using the Internet completely. Uh, it's too integrated in, into right. our lives. And so finding ways to use it in healthy 
aspects. Mm -hmm. But again, doing that with an accountability partner is probably the most effective way. There's also, I don't know of a 12-step <coughs> S group out there these days that the majority of people in the group are not struggling with their online behavior. Right. So I think they're free. Most communities have mm. those readily available for people to attend. So for you know people just to initially be able to walk into some place and be accepted right. for anything that they've done online mm. and have people who are farther along in that journey. So I think the Sexaholics Anonymous, the... Uh, sex addiction anonymous is one and you can google 12 step for sex addiction for sex 12 step groups for sex addiction right. and it'll pull up you know the the ones in your community yeah and there are a growing number of uh, church based mm-hmm. uh, right christian based uh, support groups and there are some materials that uh, some have written you know the and some of the churches are getting better at this, mm-hmm. to, be, Definitely. to be honest. Absolutely. But the key you're talking about is find a group of people where you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel here, you know, that there might be some established uh, groups that are out there. Um, we were talking last night. We went out to dinner, uh, and uh, we got into talking about whether some of the the online uh, blocking mm-hmm. stuff... Uh, the accountability softwares. Uh, I know you guys have some opinions about the effectiveness of some of those things. Can... Well, I think you said earlier in the show that addicts mm-hmm. are very can't, when they get into that bubble, that zone, yeah. that zone, yeah. they're very creative. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're they very are. tenacious. Right. And um, I think filters can be great on the family computer for those accidental happen-upons mm-hmm. or for people who are struggling with pornography use but maybe haven't escalated it to the point of addictive behavior yet. Mm-hmm. But I think for that true sex addict that often t- things like filters aren't very effective because you cannot filter up every internet access that you have in your life and so why they can be a tool i think people have to be careful and understand that you just can't say well i'm going to take care of this problem by putting a filter on my computer or getting a christian service provider which again those are helpful but then you have your cell phone you can go to or your ipad that you can go to Mm -hmm. and so i just think we have to think about using those as tools, but understanding that they're not the answer. And, and I think just kind of re-underscoring that is that false sense of security mm-hmm. that they sometimes give. This is a this is a complex issue, you yeah. know, and it involves lots of different. It's not just about looking at porn. It's not just about connecting yeah. with people right. uh, through dating sites and on the internet. It's a complex issue at a, at a much deeper level, mm-hmm. and and I think takes a multifaceted approach. And one of the tools it is are things like covenant eyes with kind of accountability mm-hmm. software and uh, blocking and filtering so i think all of those are helpful but i think when we put all of our eggs in one basket and think mm-hmm. this is going to be the solution for me mm-hmm. um, i think we make a mistake it's it's one of the many solutions that needs to happen yeah i think part of what you're saying is that i like the idea that we use blocking software to prevent accidental stuff uh, we use accountability software, but there again, we have to have accountability partners if that's going to work. And I think you were saying earlier that probably should not be the wife. 
although that's a temptation in the early days to make her feel better. Now you're my accountability partner, but I don't think uh, that works very well. Uh, so you're, I think you're also, David, pointing to the fact that uh, this is a deeper emotional and spiritual issue. And if you don't have, you know, that kind of spiritual and emotional commitment that you really do want to stop, you're going to, you're going to find, I mean, I've had so many guys that have looked at this stuff on the library computer or, you know, <laughs> that, or the work computer, the, the work computer and a lot of people getting fired. Well, what else would you like the listeners to know about today before we wrap up here and, uh, well, I think that there is help available and um, that there are a lot of great resources out there and um, that if they are struggling with this issue to take that first step, whether it's to buy a book, to go to your website and look at some of the resources, mm-hmm. um, that just to at least take one first baby step toward mm-hmm. getting more information about what help is out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, I, I think it's, uh, you know, you don't have to walk through this alone. There are a lot of resources available, uh, whether those resources are books or people, or take some initiative and, and take a first step. Good. Well, that's a great uh, maybe place to start for today. Take a first step. Uh, break the silence. Uh, find somebody to talk to, those kind of things. Listen, we really appreciate having you on today. Time does go kind of fast on these does. things, doesn't it? Uh, uh Let's just tell our audience that uh, uh, David and Elizabeth have graciously agreed to come back and do a second show. We're going to talk about maybe how to protect your kids from some of this stuff on our next show. Um, But just to reiterate that uh, Dr. David Delmonico and uh, Elizabeth Griffin have a couple of books, In the Shadows of the Net and Cybersex Unplugged. You can look those up, strangely enough, on the Internet, uh, (laughs) with one of the good uses of it. Uh, and they have a website, uh, internetbehavior.com. So we encourage you to go there. So thanks so much to both of you, and uh, thanks to our listeners, and we'll look forward to uh, having you with us next time. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.